You're listening to the Storyteller Series from The Salvation Army. For more information or to share your questions and comments, visit SalvationArmySoundcast.org. The Book of Acts, Chapter 19 While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastius, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who was worshipped through the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. 
When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If, then, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion, since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. So here we are in uh, chapter 19. Paul has just has spent uh, a year and a half in Corinth, and now he, he arrives in Ephesus and he finds some more disciples and he asks them, you know, um, did you receive the Holy Spirit when, when you believed? You know, just kind of feeling out the situation, feeling out where they are, you know, what, they, what, what they've gotten into, what works they're doing, and then uh, what we see very quickly is some of them were saying they got baptized, you know, and then um, by John. And then some of them were saying, you know, um, that they hadn't. And then so then he opens up, opens up a baptismal like he baptized. He starts baptizing people um, and laying hands on them um, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And I'm I'm so excited about what's happening in this chapter because, you know, you see him in action. You see him in action as as, as a disciple meeting other followers of the way. Yeah, and um, in action in a way that others are not able to mimic, specifically here, these Jewish magicians who are trying to uh, exercise someone who's demon-possessed and are finding that even though they are claiming the name of Jesus, they're trying to exercise this person in the name of Jesus, it's not working, and they aren't exactly sure why it's not working. I think here we find a really interesting contrast between sort of pagan religion or magical religion, really, I would say, every other religion, and Christianity. Um, Christianity isn't a religion about magic. It's not a religion about having the right words and performing the right ritual to manipulate nature into doing what we want it to do. Christianity is not about wish fulfillment, even, or attaining our heart's desires like so many other religions um, are. Christianity's most crucial moment is, of course, the cross. And before the cross, who could have wished for the cross? You know, who 
was out there wanting the cross to happen. This is not the kind of man-made, magic-filled religion that um, we are familiar with. And frankly, all of us at some level love, you know, we love to have control over our circumstances. And these magicians here find that they are very much not in control. And I think Christianity speaks to a really important, uh, or this passage rather speaks to a really important point to be made about Christianity. And that is uh, in Christianity and in the cross and in the ministry of Jesus, we receive things we did not even know we were in need of. Um, We knew the world was unjust, but we did not think there was anything we could do about it being unjust. We knew our hearts were self-centered, self-loving, self-pitying, but we didn't know that something could be done about that. Uh, We knew death was inevitable, but despite our best attempts to avoid that fact, we didn't know that we could do anything or that anything could be done for us to escape death at least not forever. And we knew that the world was riddled with evil, but we didn't know that someone could do something so good as to overcome evil once and for all. And then that is until there was the cross. And so when these guys um, come and try to say the right things and don't get the result that they want, they're still operating from this pagan wish fulfillment uh, sort of um you might say scientific worldview of just testing a hypothesis and trying to make something work and produce the results that you want. They're still operating from that and they don't realize that what they need even more than the right words or the right process or the right magic is they need a savior and the savior, our savior Christ can't be manipulated. He comes to save I love that. Yeah. So he comes into Ephesus with, you know, and, and, and meets some folks, but then he, and he meets opposition. And I love that you said that because there's, uh, right now, I feel like there's a sense of people trying to blend two different belief systems to try to make things work in their, for their own favor, you know, where they're blending like the metaphysical and, you know, um, like stars and charts and, you know, full moons and different things like that. But then also saying that calling themselves Christians. And I'm like, that it's the same, you know, they're, maybe they're not trying to do miracles, you know, in Jesus name or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. that, like what was happening in chapter 19. However, there's still that same idea of trying to like, you know, you're saying one thing and, and doing another thing or vice versa. And I think that's, that's very, it's very misleading, but it's also like it's it can be very dangerous for folks, you know, who think that they are following the way or be, are believing and and worshiping in spirit and truth when they're actually not. Mm. That's a really important point, and I think we have to do what we saw happen in the previous chapter, in last week's chapter, uh, what Priscilla and Aquila did in coming alongside Apollos, who had the right intentions but needed to have some correction and be steered ever so slightly in the right direction again. Yeah. Yeah. And lives really are turned upside down, you know, not, not uh, only in a spiritual sense, but also in a, in a material and very much in the physical realm. I'm thinking of, uh, of Demetrius, the silversmith that, that, uh, you know, that Paul encounters and, and when he's realizing, well, these silver shrines are not going to be needed, perhaps, because this is a different way of worshiping and it's a different God we are worshiping. 
uh, that's going to completely uh, alter his life and mess with his life uh, as, he, as he knows it. And, and that kind of made me think about what are those things that I in my life and we in our time that we uh, perhaps hold on to uh, so tightly and we might not want to give up for, for reasons that can be noble or it can be selfish reasons, or but some things that we are holding on to because this message of, of the, the way of Jesus and of the cross completely uh, alters that. One of the things that is so powerful for me that I encounter in this chapter is that after you have this major spiritual experience with um, the sorcerers, um, it like ev- the whole sh- community shifts because everybody it is made very clear to everyone that like the spiritual realm, the demonic realm is a real thing. And then everyone is just like, dang, like, okay. And then people just start realizing that they, they can't, you know, have Jesus and have all these other little bits and pieces too, because it doesn't blend. And so what they do is they start um, bringing their stuff, like their books and all their bits and pieces of everything that doesn't have to do with Jesus. And they start bringing it out and, throwing it into this big fire. And uh, it says in chapter 19, verse 19, a number that had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls and burned them publicly. People were out confessing publicly what they had done. And I love that because I feel like the power of Jesus breaks chains. I know that it does. But in my life, I see a fullness of freedom, not only when I confess my sin, but I confess it publicly. And then I renounce it. Like I, whatever it is that is contributing to that sin, that whatever I use to get to that place, I like set it on fire. You know, I like throw it in the river, you know? And I love that because right after that, you see like this explosion um, of like spiritual growth. Um, because people are walking in freedom in verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely, but it grew in power because the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus became magnified. I love that you point that out. And um, even as the Jews, you know, they saw that God was doing extraordinary things through Paul. And I love the fact that even in verse um, 13 at the end, it says, They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out, you know, and they were they were talking to the evil spirits. And one day the evil spirit answered them in verse 15, Jesus, I know and Paul, I know. But who are you? (laughs) Um, And for me, that's just a reminder that we can't just be um, proclaimers of his name. I think that we have to also identify with who he is. why he says he is who he is and why we believe Jesus is who he is. I think all of that has to go into play. It can't just be, you know, I believe in the Jesus that Paul preaches. (laughs) Um, It has to be personal. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this show, please share it with a friend. You can subscribe to the Storyteller series on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or your own favorite podcast store. For more information, visit SalvationArmySoundcast.org.